Daniel, the first six verses, and then I'll skip down to verse 25, our scripture for today. Belshazzar, the king, made a great feast to a thousand of his lords and drank wine before the thousand. Belshazzar, whilst he tasted the wine, commanded to bring the golden and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple which was in Jerusalem, that the king and his princes, his wives, and his concubines might drink therein. Then they brought the golden vessels that were taken out of the temple of the house of God, which was at Jerusalem, and the king and his princes, his wives, and his concubines drank in them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and of silver, of brass, of iron, of wood, and of stone. In the same hour came forth fingers of a man's hand and wrote over against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Then the king's countenance was changed and his thoughts troubled him so that the joints of his loins were loosed and his knees smote one against another. Skipping down to verse 25. And this is the writing that was written. Mini, mini, tickle, you farsen. This is the interpretation of the thing. Mini, God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. Tickle, thou art weighed in the balances and art found wanting. Pyrrhus, which is also uh, the plural of you farsen. Thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Governor Bob Graham has signed a number of death warrants and several people have been executed in our state. Now, people who are opposed to capital punishment say that it is cruel, unusual, and barbaric. But back in the book of Genesis, chapter 9 and verse 6, God said, Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God made he man. It may not be understood. We may not be able to rationalize and defend the death penalty with our understanding. But nevertheless, it was instituted by God. But instantly people say, that was under the law. No, it wasn't. It was before the law. This was in the days of Noah, long before Moses was born, before the Jewish nation was born. It was not part of the Jewish law originally, although they did have it as part of their law. It preceded the law. There is nothing to indicate that it was ever changed or altered whatsoever. Only man has attempted to alter that. Only the protests have come against it. Why would God implement, institute and implement the death penalty, capital punishment for murder primarily? There were more reasons than that. Actually, there were some 32, 42 death penalty sins under the Mosaic law. 42 death penalty sins. But the original death penalty was instituted for murder. And the reason for it was because murder was a crime against God, who was the creator of man. In the image of God, he created man. For anyone to take the life of another human being, an act of murder, it was a crime against God 
who made that person. Secondly, it was a crime against society. For society has a right to safety, has a right to live. And so it was a crime against society that God instituted. Thirdly, it was a crime against the family unit, for that was some mother's boy or girl, some child's father or mother. It was a crime against the family unit, so God allowed the death penalty for murder. Fourthly, it was a crime against the individual, for they had a right to live, and that right was deprived them by the murderer. Now all of these crimes set forth and the penalty of capital punishment and death in the case of murder is part of God's economy that He established for the good and safety of man. God never wanted to implement that policy, but He found it necessary, human nature being what it is, He found it necessary. So it preceded the law and was for all of mankind, even people who were never part of the Mosaic law. As I said, under the law, there were 42 death penalty sins. Some of them were minor compared to murder. One of them was smiting your parents. Anyone who would smite his mom or dad would come under the death penalty. Or working on the Sabbath. It's a good thing that one isn't instituted and implemented today. A lot of people get cut down eating the fat of sacrifices incurred the death penalty. Eating blood incurred the death penalty. Adultery, false prophecy. Watch this next one. Gluttony and drunkenness. Who would ever think that drunkenness would deserve the death penalty? Yet under the law it did. And so a more merciful law in the New Testament has been instituted to give men a chance to straighten their act up. But in the case of murder and certain other crimes against human nature and against the Creator Himself, there is nothing to indicate that that death penalty was ever altered. Romans chapter 13, the first six verses, very clearly sets forth that God honors the civil laws of the lands, not only our land, but other lands. In verse 1, let every soul be subject to the higher powers. The powers that be are ordained of God, meaning the laws of the land are ordained of God. Verse 2, they that res resist receive damnation. When people resist the laws that God ordained for man to be governed by, what did the Bible say? They receive damnation. Now, friends, it might seem unfair and it might seem cruel and barbaric, but it's nevertheless scriptural. It only seems that way to our puny understandings. Verse 3, rulers are not a terror to good works. In verse 4, a ruler is a minister of God. He beareth not the sword in vain. You don't trim your toenails with a sword. 
So he's talking about more than trimming your toenails or cutting your hair or shaving. When he says that rulers bear not the sword in vain, he means implementing the death sentence. So God very clearly authorizes the death sentence in the New Testament right here in verse 4. The ruler is a minister of God. He beareth not the sword in vain. He is the minister of God to execute wrath on evil. He is the minister of God to execute wrath on evil. Verse 6, they are God's ministers. Gary explained that passage of Scripture very fine in a recent sermon. But I wanted to bring it out in, in light of talking about the death penalty. While this ends my comments on capital punishment and the death penalty, for sometimes I have felt that I owed an obligation to my congregation to explain why we as the Assemblies of God and we as a church are not opposed to capital punishment. That we do not believe it is opposed to the Scripture. We believe that it was ordained of God because it was necessary for the good of mankind. It was not God's original plan, but sin entered the human family, and God had to permit the death penalty in order to keep a sense of law and order, in order for man to be able to live in safety and peace in the society. But there are certain crimes that have to be punished this way because it's the only way that justice can be served. And it does serve, contrary to many psychologists, it does serve as a deterrent to crime. I would say this, that life imprisonment is also cruel and in some cases barbaric and some cases unusual. But my friends, it is not necessarily too different from the death penalty because it's dying a slow death on death's row or in, incarcerated in such surroundings. But you might say that the person who was given a choice of the death sentence or life imprisonment would easily choose a guaranteed three meals a day, no matter what kind of circumstances it's in. Some jails and prisons are no worse than the squalor that people lived in out on the streets. So cruel and unusual and barbaric treatment to them would be relative in, in the light of however they've lived. And so life imprisonment would not necessarily be a deterrent to crime for many because they've lived worse than that on the street. They didn't get three meals a day. Didn't have a warm place to sleep at night. And so... The bleeding hearts that want to fight and oppose a system of justice just need to be cited to scriptural reasons why and rational reasons why we have to provide for such things in our society. Now God wrote a death penalty and signed the death warrant for Belshazzar and for people in his kingdom in the fifth chapter of Daniel. We noticed that they were having a sacrilegious jazz festival. Liquor was flowing freely. Verse 1 of this chapter 5, and Daniel tells us, Belshazzar drank wine before the thousand. He had invited a thousand of his princes, and they brought their women with them. And he drank wine before them. Verse 2 tells us, whilst he tasted the wine, 
he, he commanded to bring the vessels of the temple. And as usual, intoxicating beverages give people the necessary courage and feeling uh, of ability that they're willing to take steps they would not take on if their mind was not that drugged by alcohol. And this is why we have accidents on the highway caused by drunken drivers. They feel more courageous. They feel more bold with a few drinks in them, and so they will take chances. And your life is at stake, and the life of your children is at stake as they careen down the highway at a high rate of speed under the influence of alcohol. And under the influence of alcohol, Belshazzar made a, wise, a wrong decision. I want to say this. I think that we would curtail a lot of the drunken driving if those who sold liquor and the lawyers, I mean the lawmakers and legislators who passed the laws giving them the right to sell it and licensing places to drink this were penalized and charged with manslaughter when their product made a man drive recklessly and take the life of young people and mothers and dads and children because they bought that rotten stuff in a business establishment licensed by them and operated and owned by them, if the penalty was legislated against them and they had to serve uh, time in prison, we'd cut down on the drunken driving and we'd cut down on the slaughter on the highways if they had to share in the penalty. And under the influence of alcohol, Belshazzar felt bold enough to call for the vessels that had been captured in Jerusalem from the temple that were sacred and dedicated to God. They were holy vessels, never to be used for any other purpose, not even for drinking common beverages. They were sacred and only to be used in the temple worship. They'd been taken to Babylon by Nebuchadnezzar and his army several years prior to this. And Belshazzar says, bring those vessels. And they brought them out and he had wine poured in them. Verse 3 says, they drank in them. Verse 4 says, they drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver and brass and iron and wood and of stone. It was not only a drunken binge they were on, it was sacrilege committed. Idolatry was committed. They praised false gods with these sacred vessels taken out of the temple of God in Jerusalem, desecrated these sacred vessels and used them in their idolatrous practices. They praised the gods of gold and silver and brass and iron and wood and stone. And in the midst of this, in the midst of their revelry, God looked on. We read in the book of Luke chapter 12 and verse 19, when Jesus is addressing the problems of the rich young fool, who said to himself, Soul, thou hast much good laid up for many years. Eat, drink, and be merry. And Jesus said to him, God said, Thou fool, this night shall thy soul be required of thee. In the midst of the revelry of eating and drinking and being merry and having a good time as the world interprets a good time. It really can't be called a good time. 
when people are swapping wives, when people are getting drunk and so intoxicated that they do foolish things that intelligent people would not do under other circumstances. It is not really having fun. It is not really making merry. But in the midst of this so-called merrymaking and fun-having, God intervened. And God says to the rich young fool, Thou fool, this night shall thy soul be required of thee. We have a philosophy today that is encouraged by people's mind being influenced by alcohol and drugs, that if it feels good, do it. It's also taught by humanism. Do your own thing. If it's convenient to you and if you like it, then don't let anybody stand in your way. It's amazing what's being done in our public schools today. And some of the mothers have been sharing with me things that their children are bringing home in elementary school that is nothing but outright humanism teaching them that their values, their sense of values is more important than anything being taught by God or by the church or by their family, that they are the person that has to be concerned about their actions. And that subtle message is a lie of the devil. Jesus teaches restraint. Jesus teaches discipline and responsibility and stewardship and respect for other people's rights as well as insisting on your own rights. Sacrilege was committed. The vessels of the Lord were used to desecrate the name of the Lord. And they praised these gods of gold and silver and other material substances. Well, we need not look so harshly upon Belshazzar because I'm convinced that we have sacrilege, we have idolatry. Do you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? Do you know that when you allow your body to praise the gods of materialism, of wood and stone and gold and silver and brass and iron, when materialistic values replace the lordship of Christ in your life, that you're praising those gods, you're using the vessels that have been consecrated to God like we dedicated that little baby to the Lord a few moments ago? It's wrong for us to take these holy and sacred vessels that the Bible says your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost and desecrated with anything sinful and that brings reproach on the Lord who created us in His own image. We're the only creature that is made in the image of God and the only one that will curse God to His face and the only creature that God made that will desecrate the temple and the the form that God created it, the way that mortal people will do. It's a wonder God has not annihilated the human race, but I'm glad He has plans for it and He redeemed it by allowing His Son, Jesus Christ, to take our judgment and the wages of sin upon Himself and to bear that penalty in our place and thank God for redemption. But we commit sacrilege. We commit idolatry in the way that we allow our bodies to be used for wrongful purposes. Suddenly the music stopped. The band quit playing. The singers hushed. And there was silence in the room. Understandably so. For on the wall there was the fingers of a man ha man's hand, clearly visible, writing something that no one could read. Right through the ceiling this hand appeared and began to write. No one understood the writing. Now the Bible tells us in verse 5 that the joints, of his loins were loosed. 
He's coming apart at the seams. His knees smote one another, one against the other. And so his knees are knocking, his joints are coming unglued. And we notice in verse 7, the king cried out for the astrologers. Oftentimes people do irrational things when they're in this kind of problem. Instead of seeking the Lord, they seek a fortune teller or a psychic, or they seek some kind of cultish religion to get them out of the jam they're in. And people are willing to pay, and they're willing to study, and they'll get involved in a study course to teach them astrology, or to learn more about the horoscopes, so that they can predict and anticipate which is going to be a day that they might have these things happen to them. But my friends, he cried out for the astrologers. That was the wrong thing for him to do. He needed to seek to the Lord. Why would any Christian ever need the help of a horoscope when we've got the Bible? Why would any Christian ever need a fortune teller when we've got the Holy Ghost? Why would we ever need any kind of psychic when we've got Jesus Christ? No Christian will resort to horoscopes, fortune telling, astrology, and psychic uh, powers and persons for any kind of spiritual help because that is of the devil. Demons are involved in that. And you need to renounce anything that has to do with the signs of the zodiac. You need to renounce everything that has to do with the occult, with black magic and tarot cards and Ouija boards. Thank you for those few amens because I know how popular the horoscopes are. Some people won't go to work every morning without stopping and buying a newspaper or grabbing one and knowing what the horoscope has to say about their day and what sign they're under. You'd better be concerned about Jesus and about the cross and about His blood and the power of the Holy Ghost on your life. When I'm under the blood of Jesus Christ, there's no power of the zodiac or horoscopes or fortune-telling or witchcraft or black magic can penetrate that precious blood of Jesus Christ and adversely affect my life. But when you subject yourself to those powers, you're at their mercy. You are at their mercy. You need to renounce those things. And in the name of Jesus, take a stand against them and for truth. They were praising the gods of gold and silver and brass and iron and wood and stone. And that's exactly what's happening. And all of these occult practices, they're praising the gods of this world and you don't need to have anything to do with that. As usual, the intellectuals did not understand the handwriting on the wall. You need not appear before some educated person with a lot of degrees to try to get them to explain the mysteries of God's Word. Because the things of God are spiritually discerned. They cannot be learned through a process of education. They have to be revealed. Jesus said to Simon Peter, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee, but my Father... It's those things that are revealed by God that give spiritual life. And so the educated mind is not the place to seek to for the answers to these mysterious signs like the handwriting on the wall. 
If you've had a dream or if you've had a vision or if there's been something that you feel surely must be providential of God as a warning in your life, don't seek to the fortune tellers. Don't seek to the intellectual minds. Seek the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. And he'll let you know what he wants you to know. And he'll keep from you what he doesn't see that you have need of knowing. So they cried for these wise men of their day. And they didn't know a word written. They could not interpret it. The wise men of our day cannot interpret this book simply on the basis of their education. I'm not peddling ignorance today. I'm not crusading against education. I'm saying that you cannot place education over inspiration and spiritual discernment. And a simple person with very minor amount of education can understand more of John 3.16 than a person who's never been born again and, and is rejecting God, believing in humanism, believing in some false religion. And so the way of God is a, a plain and a simple path, but only when the Holy Spirit opens our mind can we understand the things of God. So they turned to religion then. They said, well, what about Daniel? He's a servant of the living God. The queen says, I know him to be a true man of God. Send for him. And when people are really in trouble and they've tried everything else, then finally they'll give God a chance. And Daniel came and interpreted the dream for them. Friends, don't wait until things get so bad that everything has to fail. Your world has to crash around you before you'll humble yourself before God to seek out the preacher to seek out spiritual counsel. People say, well, I don't want to talk to the preacher. I don't want to talk to any spiritual leader because I'm settling this for myself. It's because people don't want the truth. People don't come to me for counseling sometimes simply because they know I'm going to put my finger right on the Word of God. And no wonder they don't come. They have no intention of changing. And so they're they're solving this for themselves. They're working it out for themselves. They're talking to God about it themselves. Yes, because they've already got the answer for themselves. And they're hoping God will bless it, but he ain't going to do it. Yeah. Daniel didn't come on the scene just to please Belshazzar. He read a startling message to him. The first part of the interpretation was, God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. This is the end of the road, old boy. This is the end. It's reckoning day. There's a limit to God's patience. The second part of the in interpretation in verse 27 was, Thou art weighed in the balances and found wanting. God evaluates. He judges. Nothing escapes his attention. And then finally, the third part of it was, Thy kingdom is divided. It's taken from thee and divided to the Medes and the Persians. I want to close this morning. I had some other things that I was going to say, and I'm skipping over a good bit in the last part of my message. God will reckon with us about the areas of our life that has been so reckless and abandoned to Satan and to the world system. There is a reckoning time coming you will lose whatever comes between you and God. Your kingdom is taken away from you, given to the Medes and the Persians. That night, Cyrus's army, some disagree as to whether Cyrus was leading the army or not, but the Persian army 
broke through that massive uh, and tremendous wall around Babylon. It was something like 80 to 90 feet thick at the bottom, from 300 to 450 feet high, towering up into the sky. And, and they had chariot races around the top of it. And that night, through the ingenuity of someone, they diverted the Euphrates River away from the wall of the city. And they entered under the riverbed, through the riverbed, under the walls, and into the city, led by two defectors of the city of Babylon. And they went right to the palace. And that night, Belshazzar died. And his kingdom crashed to the ground. Babylon fell. And the Medes and the Persians took over the Babylonian Empire. It wasn't long in being fulfilled. I want to close my message this morning in this way. I want to appeal to you that are living recklessly, carelessly, living in sin, not following the laws of God. There's a reckoning day. And we may be dis in disagreement and say, well, I don't believe that God would ever harm anybody, and I don't believe that God would let anything bad happen to a person. And after all, uh, I've got time to straighten this up. I read to you for a purpose this morning why I believe that God instituted and supports the death penalty and capital punishment, even in our society today. Because I wanted this lesson to come through. God will not wink at our sins. God will not turn his head. There is a time when we try the patience of God. When we take one step too far over that line and judgment day is sure to come and we're going to have to reckon with God and God who wrote the death penalty on the wall that night, it was implemented and Belshazzar and his kingdom fell and lost their lives that night and it may not be far from your life. It may not be so distant. You may feel like everything's going so great, I don't need to worry about anything. I've got things going my way. It can change in a hurry. It can change in a hurry. Let us pray.